Hey now, and welcome to Drupal Easy Podcast 201. My name is Mike Anello. Thanks for joining us as usual. Um, with me today is Ted Bowman. T-Bone, how's it going? Yeah, pretty good, Mike. It's uh, great to be back. Hey, what did you think of that podcast episode 200? That was pretty awesome, wasn't it? Oh my gosh, it was just like brought tears to my eyes. It blew your mind. It's almost like you can't even remember what happened. It's almost like that, but almost not quite. exactly like that. Well, we've got a great um, guest today to kick off our, I guess, our third century of podcasts. Uh, the century, does century work just for numbers? Like, when you say centuries. Yeah, I think people, yeah, definitely. Like, if I say century, that doesn't mean 100 years. It can be 100 of something uh, else. It might be I think it's years. usually most associated with the years. Yeah. But. So it might technically not be correct whether we're saying our third century podcast, because that would make us, that would make us... Uh, a little older than we than we want to admit, I guess. Anyway, let's uh, <laughs> let's get off of the word century for two seconds and get into um, some Drupal stuff. Uh, so uh, we're going to introduce uh, Jacob Rockowitz. Hey, Jake, how are you? Hey, how's it going? Good morning. Um, so you are the lead maintainer of the web forum module. Um, you go by Jay Rockowitz on Twitter and Drupal.org and pretty much everywhere else. Although I have seen references to JRock. No, no, J Rockwoods definitely, and my domain is jrockwoods.com. I've like my business name is the Big Blue House, which is a whole separate story, but I've kind of decided J Rockwoods is the way to go. I know J, just J Rock sounds pretty cool though. Like you could have your own music label, I think, with J Rock. I don't know. I might be fighting with other people for that namespace. I only there's only one other girl named Julia Rockwoods in New York that has it. You know, like she has a similar name somewhere on certain like Yahoo. I think she got that. Yeah. But. Anyway, you could you could do J J Wits. Oh, J Wits. There you go. Um, yeah. All right. So let me, let me let me try and get through the introduction before I fall down another rabbit hole. <laughs> um, so yeah, lead maintainer of the web form module. That's what we're going to be talking about today. And amazingly, that's like you and this is we're going to touch on this today. But um, what you do for employment is not necessarily related to the web form module. Um, I, I believe it, it's a pretty well-known fact that you are a pure volunteer contributor to WebForm, meaning you don't have someone paying your way to develop WebForm. Um, but you're, you're a full-time gig, I guess, although from what I understand, it's not really full-time. Um, but you are the builder and maintainer of the Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Center website. Yeah, I mean, specifically, I'm a consultant. I've worked with them for a very long time. I've definitely built... I was maintaining the site for several years by myself, but there's a full team now working on the site and I'm a consultant helping them with maintaining the site and with every site it's gotten so big that one person can't maintain it and I think it's up to four or five you know like three or four developers plus a lot of support staff QA and things like that um, but that's my primary source of income and that yes they use web forms as a small part of their site but they're not sponsoring any of the development. All right, so tell us for people who, you know, you know I don't know if there's going to be that many listeners who aren't familiar with WebForm, but let's pretend that there's two listeners out there who aren't, are not familiar with WebForm module. What, what is the WebForm module? Well, I think I'd like to describe it more in the bigger space of what a form builder is or what form builders are online, which is, you know, it's a way, forms are really important. That's like the ROI on your site. You're trying to reach people and you want them to fill out a form and give you information. And sometimes the information is a commerce transaction, a registration, and online there's a lot of form builders. And these are tools that let an end user go in and build a form that collects data. And that's pretty much the use case of the web form module is you go in, you build a form, someone fills it out, they hit submit, and you collect the data. And then a huge part of these form builders that has changed, once upon a time it would just send an email, and then it went into a database. And now this, let's call it the next generation, it's about taking that data and pushing it to many different places like CRMs, subscribing people to mailing lists. Um, any, you know, it, it's about just getting the data and routing it to whatever systems you need. And I mean, in the case of healthcare, we route the data to in, internal secure medical systems if someone's registering for an appointment or something like that. Um, so yeah, that the use case is build a form, collect the data, and basically route, route the data, Some sometimes in email, sometimes just posting it to a, a database. Yeah, that was really interesting the way you just described it because I hadn't heard it described where it really is, it, it's where the rubber meets the road for a return on investment on a lot of websites, right? It's where, it, you know, as a, as a 
business or you know any type of organization, um, if you want to get information, if you need to get data from your users, um, forms are, are pretty much the way to do that. And web form is you know one of a few uh, ways in Drupal to collect information from users. I know that like even on the DrupalEasy.com site, when we need to collect information about from prospective students who you know take our classes, it's it's all done with you know web form or contact forms or something like that. Um, so we're going to dive into that a little bit more. We're going to talk about. Um, uh, I'd like I'd like to get a in a second. Um, get kind of the short version of the story of how web form for Drupal 8 came about, because I think that's kind of a cool, open source, feel-good story. Um, we want to talk, and this is going to be more for both you and Ted, to figure out when someone should use the Drupal 8 core contact form um, or web form. Like, what are some of the things that we should look at when deciding which solution we should use? Um, and we're also going to talk about, um, you know, something that I know you're very passionate about is as a contributor um, uh, uh, who, who maintains a module, how can you actually, you know, how is that model sustainable? Because you're not getting paid for it and that's a lot of work and it seems like there should be a way for people who are contributing a lot of their time and talents to the community to potentially, um, you know, have a source of income from that. So those are kind of the topics I'm thinking about for the next few minutes. Before we get to that, though, um, I definitely want to mention our sponsor, MyDropWizard.com. Uh, they've been a sponsor now for more than a few months, so thank you very much to them. They, uh, they provide Drupal 6, 7, and 8 basic maintenance plans for your Drupal site. Um, for uh, starting around 99 bucks a month, they will keep uh, Drupal core and contribute modules up to date. Uh, keep in mind that includes Drupal 6, which is no longer supported by the community, so that's kind of a big deal if you still have a Drupal 6 site out there. They will um, make sure your site stays online. They will answer support questions for uh, core and popular contributed modules. In addition, they will help you with kind of basic one-off maintenance tasks. You know, if you have like some weird error happening or you need a little tweak to your CSS, they can help you with that. When you sign up um, with them, they'll give you a complimentary site audit. You'll get 24-hour um, response time. And really cool, they'll actually give you complimentary hosting with all that, um, if you so desire. So that, that's a pretty cool uh, little perk. And if once you give them a try, if you decide it's not for you, um, they'll give you a 30-day money-back guarantee. So you definitely want to check them out at mydropwizard.com. All right, so let me go back down to the right point um, here in our rundown. So, Jake, why don't, um, why don't you tell us the uh, um, current state of web form for Drupal 8 and kind of how we got to where we are? Okay. Um, well, let's start off with the most immediate thing to say to everyone is it, it's a complete rewrite. It's a new code base. Um, so web form 7.x, 4.x is... For Drupal 7, it's a different code base completely, and it was completely rewritten for Drupal 8. The history behind that rewrite kind of starts with, you know, going back to my primary client, Sloan Kettering, is they were one of the largest, earliest adoptions of Drupal 8. They launched on a beta release of Drupal, and there were no contrib modules available. So we had to come up with solutions of using core for a lot of things, wrote a lot of custom code. And web forms, it was a primary requirement for the site, because it's going back to ROI, for them, the biggest thing is they need... Forms where someone could request an appointment or schedule, you know, sign up for an event or a lecture. And these are really critical things. And they have, at, usually on average, they have like 20 or 30 forms live at a given time. But they have about 100 forms in their database that they rotate throughout the year. And this was a huge requirement. And we were looking at the web form module. And a lot of people are saying, well, we need to start porting this. We need to come up with a plan. There's a lot of history behind that, which you can get into with Backdrop, which I think people need to look into, where... The maintainer of the web form module moved on to do backdrop and he felt that he could support the web form module in this um, fork of Drupal at the Drupal 7 level. And there's a discussion and it's, if you go to the web form module issue, you'll see it. It's like, you know, the, the banner to porting the module is still there and it links to all the discussion points and we can add it to the notes. And it was an ongoing debate. Like people were like, we need to do this. A, a lot of people volunteering to help. 
but not getting any traction and not because it was an overwhelming task to port the web four module from Drupal seven to eight. It was um, it's a large module with a lot of functionality with a lot of dependencies and a lot of people rely on it and I couldn't do it and the people we were working with were like this is a, this is no one's really able to take on this task and for Sean Kettering we came up with an MVP solution which was it, it's kind of simple one of the most complex things to building things like the web form module or Drupal is sometimes the UI a lot of work the web form module I think is 50% UI and we just decided not to have a UI and make it just simple YAML where you're entering plain text that describes a form in YAML, and that would build a form, and we called it the YAML form module. And we went live with it in the first release of the MSK, and we worked with phase two, and everyone's like, this is amazing, you should contribute it back to Drupal, and I was like, no, I do not want to, I do not want to maintain this, this project on Drupal.org, because it's a lot of work. It's taking on a huge amount of responsibility. And I, it's, the code sat there for a year. I procrastinated doing it for a year. And then finally, it actually goes back to two years ago on Christmas. I decided to just do it. And I contributed the YAML form module back to Drupal.org. And I spent the entire year working on it. And towards the end, and I get my years right, I think 2016, someone finally said, well, shouldn't you rename this module? Because no one understands what YAML form means and people get overwhelmed by the word YAML. And there's a great thread where this discussion starts happening. And halfway through the thread, someone's finally like, why don't you call this the web form module? Why don't you just take over the namespace? And I was very hesitant. I was like, one, I don't really want to be that res responsible for that complex of a module. Um, and I have a lot of respect for Nate Hogg, Quick Sketch, with just, he owns the web form space. He owns webform.com. And I was very, you know, I was like, I don't want to do that. We got to come up with a different name. And then he stepped in and said, no, you can have the name, which is definitely a thing about the Drupal community. I think his feeling there was it's just a namespace that's owned by Drupal. He just happened to be the maintainer previously, and he was willing to let me take over the namespace of WebForm. So a year ago, we moved the YAML form codebase into the WebForm module namespace, um, cut a, a beta release of the 5.x branch. And for the past year, I've been working on it. And I've been gradually evolving it, and I'm hoping I'm, I'm going to have a release candidate this year on Christmas. I'm going to tag an RC and hopefully get a stable release by um, DrupalCon. So for someone who didn't want responsibility, here you are. <laughs> yeah, I, it's um, it was a big turning point. I mean, a lot of things. I've had to make a lot of decisions along the way about that. I I took on the project because this is what I'm good at: is very large projects wrapping my head around. And being able to grok everything that's going on, and if you look at the queue, I'm issue queue in the web form, I'm able to fix things really fast because it's all I'm doing in the Drupal community. I dropped every other contrib module I was working on. I just made a decision that this is it. I I feel it's a big enough contribution that I don't need to be working on other issues. I hesitate going into core issues sometimes for that reason because it can consume a lot of time, and I feel like my focus being on web form benefits the community more. And I take the role of being the maintainer of a module, this module, very seriously. I, I think that's a big issue in the community, is ownership of these modules and people saying, I am responsible for this namespace and this feature. Um, and it, it's a challenge. I think that's why Webform didn't have any other people stepping in, because no company wanted to take on that responsibility. Yeah, you know, what you touched on before makes a lot of sense, because I know that I've suffered from this, and it's the trying you know you're taking too much on right you're you're responsible for contributing in too many different places or you feel the need to contribute in a lot of places and, and not say no um but i think what you just described is a perfect example of where saying no to a lot of other things allows you to focus in your case on web form and to really do just a, you know an outstanding job on that one thing and I mean, it, it, that it is what it is. I mean, that's that's enough. I mean, that's it, it's enough for you as a single person who is not getting paid to do this to just do an amazing job maintaining this one module and not feel guilty about not helping out in these six or seven other places. I'm yeah, not... and it's also just really important to emphasize is you just got to know your skill, like not your skill level, but how you work. Because there are people in the community that go from one module to another and do amazing work. It's like the Dave Reed phenomenon where he could do 80 modules or Birder where he's just bouncing around between all these modules and just that's his, his mind works that way. I think he enjoys, 
he enjoys jump. These people, Dave, these people enjoy jumping from one module to another. Engages them. For me, I like focus. I like being able to map out huge amounts of features and hammering them out in one namespace. So let's let me let's bring Ted into this conversation so he doesn't fall asleep because this is kind of early this morning. Is still with us there, Ted? Yeah, it's it's more the coffee thing. <laughs> I was gonna say Ted took a crack at the. There's Ted. You took some. You looked at the Web4 module and porting it, and took a crack at some patches. Yeah, I mean, it, the other thing it was it was kind of like it wasn't. Um, it wasn't what was needed when I was looking at porting it. Um, and, um, yeah, I mean, the, the amount of work that it was going to be, um, like you said for like the, and it, I, I, I didn't have like a long-term, um, interest in maintaining the web form module. So I think any, anybody who, who sort of ports a module like that and you, I guess you ported it by default and in taking over the namespace is going to sort of take take over or not that you have a long-term responsibility because it's a volunteer basis but um you would be the best person positioned to take over the sort of long long-term responsibility so yeah it was looking at i guess we were going to talk about the differences between the contact module and and web form is when we looked at it we just figured that, oh, the contact module really for what we needed uh, was was more closely aligned because of the people who'd be making it, making the forms, and how often a new form would come up. And um, it just seemed like the contact module because there were going to be so in the forms were going to be so infrequent, and the people who were building the site were going to be the people who are always making the forms. Well, Ted, let's take a step back and describe kind of the fundamental difference between the two. Yeah, so I could be wrong, but um, I know in in core, con- mo- forms are configuration. Is that true in Webform 8 yes. or no? Yes, definitely. They are configuration also? Yeah, it's, you know, it's, the, it's the best way to manage this. Like, conf- you want to use configuration when you have hundreds of settings that you need to adjust because if you make them content entities, you're going to build a massive database of tables well i guess that's one thing that so that's different from i mean i don't know if there was i can't remember if there was a concept of configuration entities and they weren't configuration in in drupal 7 so that's something that's not different the main difference i guess is the field ui so um contact form in drupal core uses the field api so it uses the field ui so um all of the UI for adding fields and storage fields is just what you would use on like an article or a user profile. Um, so all of that code lives outside of the, the contact form. Um, the other difference, a really big difference in core is that the contact module initially when it first came out was simply just a way to, I think, email the, the responses to the form. There was no storage. And then the contact storage form was created to sort of fill some of those gaps from what people would expect as far as um, originally it was just storage, but I think they added a lot of, a lot more stuff like draft forms and stuff like that. Um, and I'm actually haven't che- checked up on that roadmap lately about what they were getting. But there was a whole roadmap of getting a lot of the stuff from contact storage as far as storage, which I think got in, but then other features... Um, uh, into into the contact module. Yeah, so I think I, I think though like the fundamental difference though is what you said before is the fact that contact forms use the field UI. They are right. So any field type that you can use when you create a content type or vocabulary, you could use with a contact form. Where with web form, Jacob, I I can definitely weigh in on this a little bit because there's a um, like. Well, it's very important to say, you know, Drupal has a lot of APIs. Both Contact Module, Field API, and WebForm all use Form API, which is how Drupal builds any form when you're in Drupal is built with Form API. Um, Field API extends Form API to build a whole data layer. It, it based, I mean, my way to describe how contact the Field API is used to build websites, complex data with complex displays and when you build a contact form you can control every aspect of the display of that information and it there are some limitations there because you're using 
it's not about building forms, it's about collecting data to build a website. Um, the web form module kind of departs and goes starts at Form API, and, and its sole goal is to build incredibly flexible forms where you can collect as much data as you want in any way, shape, or form that you want, and not so worried about displaying that data because we really it's about collecting it. You need a basic way to display an email address, which is it's hyperlinked or it's not. Um, the other thing we also have to talk about is performance and storage is that Field API has some known limitations because every single field creates a database table that requires a join. So if you have a form with a hundred fields on it, you are gonna, you're going to hit a performance issue. And the web form module doesn't do it that way. It kind of stores everything in a very flat, simple table. So you get better performance out of large forms. Um, my experience with it, just and I don't want to go on too long with it, but by focusing on form API, I'm just able to add a lot more functionality and flexibility like getting multi-step wizards and conditional logic working, like real conditional logic working where it's not just client-side, it's server-side as well. And that's much more challenging in field API because it's just the because it's trying to do a lot of other things at the same time. Yeah, basically like what contact uses field API has to work across like all different aspects and all different contrib modules. So it's much more, I don't say limited. I mean, in some ways it's more powerful, but it's limited in the fact that decisions that are made for it aren't made for the contact form. Whereas the web form module, like the decisions for, you know, the form film builder experience are made for the web form module solely. So it can be focused on that one area. Yeah. And one very specific example is when you create an element in the web form module, it has two displays. It has a plain text display and an HTML display, which is a real requirement for something like a form builder, because you might want to send out a plain text notification or a plain text email, but you might also want to send out an HTML email. Or if you're exporting the data, you need a plain text view of that data. And it is possible in core to do it, but it's not, it can get a little tricky. Like the contact form module actually renders HTML and then converts it to plain text which is not the most reliable way to get clean text output. Um, what are the other, I mean, one thing I always emphasize to anyone when we're doing this comparison is you must install the contact form module before using the web form module. You must try and see if it meets your project's needs and if it does, use it. Always use core if it can address your project's requirements before going to contrib. That's a very, um, uh, and I'm not. I'm not saying this to to be negative, but that's a very mechanical answer. Like you should always try this before that. So I think what what I want to hear, though, Jacob, is under you know, with your opinion. Let's be a little bit opinionated on this. When is using the core contact forms a better idea than using web form? If you need a basic contact form, if you're just trying to collect someone's information. Yes, and there's this other use case where if you're building a really complex application, which it's not about collecting hundreds of fields or and stuff like that, but you're trying to get like difficult relationships and build applications, you can the contact the contact form module will do better better with things like entity references. Something I don't have support like the address field is available to the contact form module, but it's not workable with the web form module. And when I say the address field, it's like this map, it's like fully international support for addresses, this dynamic field that can figure out geo, like all the location information. And that's specifically written for field API. So it's only available to the contact module and not to the web form module. You can collect international addresses, but it's not as robust. All right, so let me ask you, uh, let me ask about a couple of like fake scenarios and tell me which one you would recommend. Let's say you've got a real simple form, but it's going to be something that thousands and thousands of people need to populate and fill out. Would you recommend one over the other, web form over contact forms or vice versa? Not really. The, the amount of submissions is not that big of a deal because Core can handle millions of records and so can the web form module. It's the complexity of the form is where you have to, you know, think about it. Okay, so let's say um, if you have a single form, one, and regardless of, like you said, regardless of how many people are actually filling it out, um, if that form is really complex, and not from a relationship entity reference standpoint, but maybe from like a conditions standpoint, just from the sheer number of fields. Would you recommend one over the other? 
Yeah, web, web form is designed to make it easy to build really complex forms. That you know, complex not meaning like you're trying to make people's life difficult. There's just complex business requirements, conditional logic, certain behaviors. Like I just added this feature, for example, if you're saying that someone has to be logged into a web form, you check this box off under form behaviors and when an anonymous user goes to the form, it redirects them to the login page with a customizable message at the top of the form that says something like, hey, to fill out this form, please log in and create a uh, user account. And that's just not something available in the core module. And then you'd have to go out and get a whole stack of modules to get that feature working. All right, fair enough. How about if you have a lot, and I think I know the answer to this, but I'm gonna, I'll, I'll throw you a softball one here anyway. Um, you've got a lot of relatively simple forms is web web i think the answer is going to be web form is probably the preferred solution there yeah i, I mean it's definitely it's just easier to quickly knock it's also important is if you're if you have forms that are like one-offs where you put you're going to put the form live on your site and then you want to delete it or just get the data out web form is a lot easier because you're not building a complex system it's a one-off here's a form to get the data it stays you can even set the form to open and close the dates and then once it's closed you could delete the form. So Jacob, like one thing in Drupal 7, what I would recommend web form over entity form was the fact that you didn't have to worry about features because web forms were content. Now it sounds like in Drupal 8, it is configuration. So how do you, like if people are making live, um, if are people making live forms on the production site, how do you deal with sort of like the import export of configuration and making sure that they're not wiped out. I think a lot, um, I would say immediately config split is what people are using and people are having the same problem with blocks because people move blocks around on their site. And my, my personal take is that core needs to sort, it's going to sort this out is that you should be able to export, you can export configuration, but configuration should also be considered content in certain use cases. And content should also be exportable in certain use cases. It's coming up now, like with the help system, there's some talk about retweaking it. And the help system should be content that's exportable configuration. And, you know, Core needs to kind of work on this and figure it out. And people are doing it in Contrib. There's a config split module which would protect your web form configuration on production and allow you to import all your other configuration. But it is something people need to think about. Like you can't just not think about that and then just start making forms. You have to be aware of that ahead of time, right? Um, you know, Mike, I mentioned your presentation about managing configuration management. I think the key takeaway is managing configuration in Drupal 8, you need to think about and come up with a plan and write it down. It's just that's the first rule of it. There's no perfect solution. You know, it's, it's a great system, but everyone has to decide what the right's solution is for them. Yeah, the first rule of the config system is to talk about the config system. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I should put that in my slideshow. You know, Mike, like there's there's much more complex use cases that the web form module has just been better designed for. Um, like I have examples like event registration. It is is perfectly designed for that system where you build this registration form. Like the use case is you have events on your site and you go into the web form module and you build a registration form, a generic one. And you can take this form and just attach it to all your events. And each event gets its own spreadsheet tracking system of all the registrants. And it makes it very clean to keep track of all this information coming in. Yeah, so I was actually going to ask you about that. That was going to kind of be my next scenario as far as, you know, we've kind of talked about number of forms, number of submissions, complexity of the forms. But on the back end, you know, exactly what you're talking about. If, if that form needs to interact with some third-party API or do something other than being emailed somewhere or being stored in a database somewhere. Is there an advantage to using web form over contact forms? Um, from a developer, it is so much nicer to use the web form data coming in because it's completely flat. It is the as simple as possible way to store data. Like, like it comes in as a very simple associative array with not a lot of nesting versus field API is a lot more complex as you get into the deltas and the relationships and the target IDs. What you get from the web form modules, are, like there's a debug, you can look at this data coming in and it's very simple to push and push to external systems. In many cases, people just push it as just some. So like on a counterpoint to that, I know I, I haven't, 
dealt with like the back end of the web form. But I know in, in D7, what I liked about Entity Form or other uh, field API systems is that oftentimes people are having to like do, um, you know, processing on nodes coming in or something like that. And the benefit of the contact system is if you've learned how to do that for nodes, then you already know how to do it for the contact system, like, cause it's the same field system. But yeah, I mean, it's, I do, I do see that the flat part would be really nice. Well, the, but it is, what's really important is when you're talking about like manipulating data on nodes and stuff, contact web form submissions are content and they're entities. So you get all those entity hooks available to you. It's just, you, there's a get data, set data method, which it's a ridiculously simple array that you're manipulating and you have control over all the keys and, and stuff like that. And I, I'm finding it much easier to work with that data because um, field API is really flexible, but to manipulate the data requires, there's <laughs> one problem is there's a lot of nuance, a lot of different ways you can manipulate field data. Like there's four different syntaxes to altering a field. Um, in the web form module, it's like, here's an array. What other use cases? I mean, Mike, there's a lot of like little features because I'm focused on building forms where there's just nuances that I'm able to make available to people. Like if there's a whole series of checkboxes where you can adjust your form's behavior. Like from off the top of my head, it's like you can turn off client-side validation. You can auto-focus the first element in a checkbox. This is easy stuff for people to write in JavaScript, but it's really helpful. If you have a form that someone's filling out over and over again, auto-focusing the first input saves time and makes people's lives easier. Yeah, I think I, when I saw you at Triple Champ Atlanta, I think I I asked you this. Um, so I'm hoping that your answer is going to be the same or very similar. But you mentioned a few minutes ago um, that you're hoping to tag the release candidate around you know in another month or so um, around the holidays here. Um, so what's stopping you? Why haven't we had like why haven't we had a release candidate yet? What is incomplete in your mind or what needs to be done in your mind in order to get us to the release candidate? Um, there's little API tweaks that I just need to kind of work through. Um, there's minor, like I need more people to use it and file bugs. And I, I mean, one thing that's a huge challenge that I didn't anticipate is QA, QA quality assurance, making sure things are stable. Um, it's just one of the problems in the open source community because, yeah, I'm writing a lot of code, but there's no dedicated QA team. It actually messes me up because I'm used to working on a team where I write code knowing someone's going to review it. So it doesn't have to be 100%. I write the test. I cover it. But I would say, you know, 80% of it's perfect. And then there's a or 20%. There's some bugs in there. And they get caught because there's a QA team. There's no QA team in the web form space. It's something I almost have to think about. Like, how do we improve the quality of the releases because every once in a while there's a there's a bug in the release and I fix it immediately but that that's made me hesitant to tag a stable release well I think a lot of other developers will say that part of the answer to the QA question is automated tests which is very easy to say but not so easy to always put into practice I, I there's a ton of automated tests specifically with QA I get burned on is like update hooks and scenarios that I just do not account for. Like I just could not imagine someone doing it this way. And sometimes I just can't see the problem. And we had that with some trans, like uh, things were breaking because people were using database prefixes and I wasn't using them locally. And no one else, I like it's a hard thing to test for. Yeah, I guess if you are, I mean, well here, let me ask this in a different way then. So. It sounds like the things that are preventing or that have prevented you so far from issuing a release candidate are not in the 80%. They're kind of more on the edge case. Yeah, it it's finding those books. And the other thing is like, I'm after this like rich form building experience. Like I, I feel like the web form module needs to compete with all the form builders out there. So there's a certain level of feature set and completeness that just needs to exist. Like I just added the ability to create custom composite elements. And the, the concept there is a composite element is a group of elements working together. It's kind of like paragraphs or field groups. And in the web form UI, you can actually build a custom address field for your site. And I needed to get that feature in before there was a stable release just to, to get it out there. And we're still, you know, over. I did it a month ago and we're still working out some of the kinks in the feature. Here's a question that just popped in my mind and I probably should have 
warned you and Ted that I was going to ask it, but has there any, <laughs> sorry in advance, um, you know, knowing what Ted is working on with the, um, and Ted for the life of me, I, I'm sitting here struggling to remember what it's called. The, um, the sidebar thing that si- slides in. Yeah. 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 What's the word for it? What do you guys call it? Setting, uh, tray. the off canvas tray. Yeah. yeah. The yeah settings, settings tray will work. Yeah. yeah. Settings tray is what was, what I couldn't, the phrase I couldn't come up with, but have the two of you discussed or Jake, Jacob, have you thought about, um, using the settings tray to help set up web forms? Yeah. It, Ted and I worked on this. We had it working at an early release. Um, and now it's broken. Fantastic. I'm so glad I asked. But it's important to say it's broken right now. Um, but in 8.5, the, so right now, uh, Jacob had to like write a bunch of code to sort of conditional, like, okay, if the settings tray is enabled, um, do this. So it made it more complex than it will in the future need to be. So, um, in 8.5, the actual tray portion in Drupal core 8.5, the actual off canvas dialogue portion is separated out from the settings tray. So you won't have to have any module enabled. So. Um, yeah, I've been meaning to get back with Jacob about <clears throat> porting that so that when 8.5 is, it just will be a lot simpler. It'll just always be available. But that's exciting. I mean, that's, 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 that's pretty cool. So that sounds like, Jacob, that's definitely going to be like a, um, an after the, the release type thing, hopefully. Yeah, and uh, uh, the web form module, and Ted worked with me on you saw that I still have an interest in supporting dialogues and the system tray and let people control those settings. Because it depends on who's using it. I like the system tray once it starts working. I think everybody does. Really? <laughs> My, well, Mike, I actually thought you were going to stump me better than that one because, you know, like I'm using Form API, so I'm relying on that system. And any changes to that system will be really, you know, it'll, I'll have to factor that in. And, you know, this whole concept of getting React into core, if we, we're doing that, we have to rethink how forms are going to work. We need forms to be client facing. Oh yeah, I wasn't going to go that far in the future. I know, but it's it's one of those challenges. Like it, uh, you know, if we're going to shift over to funding things and keeping things working. Like if major changes happen, there might be some limit where I can't physically do that much work. You know, if Core switches out form API, I'm in a lot of trouble. I I, I think you probably you probably got some time before you have to worry about that. Yeah, I think form API is there for the long haul. I would hope. Um, I, I actually, that question, you know, what popped into my mind um, when I asked that question was back in the Drupal 7 days, and I forget the name of the module, it may have just been something as simple as web form builder, but didn't Nate release a module that provided some form sort builder. of form builder, right? It provided a GUI for creating web forms. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a drag and drop. Yeah, so it seems to me like we could almost come full circle on that. By combining, um, you know, what Ted, uh, what you and, and other folks at Aquia are doing with the settings tray and with, you know, the fact that you've got a, a, a willing and motivated contributor in Jacob on Webform. It seems like a, a pretty good match there. Yeah, I think the actual, like, when it was working in Webform the, with the experimental module, it was pretty slick. I mean, you, you had this sort of quick edit. It opened up. It listed all your components. You know, you could reorder components, you click on an individual component, you could edit it and all without, you know, going to the back end. So, yeah, I thought it was pretty nice. And hopefully in 8.5 going forward, we can get that back in. Oh, we'll definitely get it working. I mean, one thing I'm hesitant because I've I've researched form builders, like all the different options and drag and drop form builders look great, but they can make it really hard to manage complex forms. Um, right now the web form kind of approaches it from an outline. It gives you like an outline of your form that's drag and drop and gives you a UI, but it's not trying to be a WYSIWYG. Um, and I'm on the fence on that because WYSIWYGs, yeah, they help certain users, but then it makes it more difficult to quickly, you know, tweak things. All right. So let's go ahead and and wrap up kind of the interview portion. I want to ask you about one other thing. Um, and you just told me before we started recording that you are actually uh, scheduled to be on the DrupalEyes.me podcast talking about this topic, this next topic and more, more in depth in in, in the near future. So I don't want to, I don't want to steal Mike Herschel's thunder because he has enough to be jealous about me. Um, (laughs) I don't want, I don't want to make him feel too bad. Um, but I know that one of your passions, uh, Jacob, is 
trying to help the Drupal community figure out how to better support um, contributors, um, both financially and you know non-financially or non-fiscally. I'm not sure what the right phrase is there. Um, and a lot of what you and I have talked about um, has been changing the mindset of people who use all these contributed modules um, so that they are hopefully more willing in the future to help provide some type of financial support to the people like you and a lot of other people who put so much time in um, to making these modules as awesome as they are. Um, so I thought we could just touch on it because something that I've heard you talk about a lot that I haven't heard in a whole lot of other discussions on this topic is perhaps the first step is to you know get more people um, involved with the Drupal Association from as far as uh, becoming a you know individual member or or a corporate member. So can you talk about that just for a minute, and we'll kind of use that as the tease for you appearing on the on the Drupalize.me podcast to talk about it more. Yeah, um, I think a, a really simple statement is open source is not really free. It's not free. You have the freedom to do what you want with it. And that's a misnomer. Like people just come in and they say it's open source. I don't have to contribute or pay anything. I can just use it. And that's a, it's not true. It's actually a fallacy. It's, you have the freedom to do what you want with it. And there's a mindset. I, I see people just assuming my time is free. They assume maybe I'm getting paid for it and they'll go in the issue queue and can you fix this immediately? And they're just not understanding that none of this is free. Not even Drupal.org is free. And that's why I've thought a lot about the Drupal Association, because they're responsible for Drupal.org. And everyone who's using Drupal should be a member of the Drupal Association. I don't think anyone could argue against that statement. And it's, a, it's a, such an obvious one that, like, that's the backbone of Drupal. The automated tests that run on the Web4 module every night, every commit I do, every patch. Is all because the Drupal Association has set up the infrastructure and maintain it and have a team of people doing it. Um, and I think, you know, people need to start supporting Drupal more. And I, I've concluded that supporting the Drupal Association is a first step to changing that mindset. And I think we have to push people on it. I think we, I personally am leaning more and more. I am doing this in the Web4 modules next release. There's a banner that says join the Drupal Association. It's dismissible. It's optional. But people need to start thinking about that. The fact, I'm hoping they'll be so happy with the Web4 module when they read that banner, they're going to be like, well, I'll click through and see what this is about. And it, gradually, as people get more comfortable with the fact that they should help, help with money and time, it, it'll help support these modules. I also hope that by people hearing you know, interviews like this and, and hearing stories about people who volunteer just I mean I, I, I could ask you Jacob but I'm pretty sure you won't have the answer like how many hours do you think you've spent on web form for Drupal 8 I, I, it's probably a number that is that would scare you if you look back I was I was tracking it for about a month and then I had to stop yeah it, I, I was just curious and I was like no this isn't this like I can't it's not healthy yeah um, I can't put a number on it you know yeah it, it's but it's, I don't know, it's open source. It's like, that's the nature of it. We want to collaborate. We want to build awesome things. And I just, and it's important. I did hint at this at Atlanta. It's like, I happen to have the time right now. I'm in a certain moment where I have steady income and I want to make a huge impact. Most people do, should do this at the college level, personally, not when you have a family. But when you're in college, sitting in your dorm room, which is the history of Drupal, Dries was sitting in his dorm room, you should contribute to open source. It helps your career. It helps your resume. Yeah, and I think what you just said there, that's the thing I always tell when I'm talking to you know my students or people who are new to Drupal and I talk about giving back to the community and contributing somehow, either with you know event organization or uh, um, uh, working in the issue queue, like doing triage or, or filing like really, you know, um, well-written bug report or issues or trying to duplicate someone else's issue in the issue queue. Um, I always talk about that it's okay to be a little bit selfish when you're doing that because by doing that, you're you're making yourself better and you're you're getting you're getting yourself out there. You're kind of promoting yourself that hey, I'm someone who knows what they're doing when it comes to this you know this thing, whether it's web form or or Drupal core or you know whatever. Um, 
so I think it's okay to to you know take a little bit when you're contributing back because otherwise you know why are we here right you know we all need to like feed our families and 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 you know buy the latest phones and you know support ourselves so that we can keep doing what we're you know what we love doing um if contribution didn't give any of that back then no one would be contributing yeah and just to add to my experiences I did this for professional development. That was my beginning goal of this whole thing is I needed a, the, the God honest truth is I've worked at Sloan Kettering for 18 years and I at some point might walk into an interview and I didn't want my resume discussion to be my 18 years at Sloan Kettering. I wanted it to be about something else. And I open source gives you opportunity. If you do it, you can put a name out there for yourself and it's huge. I think I've like changed a huge aspect of my career in the last two years of working on this project. And that is a huge benefit of Drupal. People are aware of it. We're on podcasts. Um, my, but one thing to emphasize about my issue with the funding is I don't think I'm ever going to be able to pay my bills with contributing to open source. But I see all these people in the issue queue trying to help out incredibly smart young developers. And they're just not motivated. You know, like they're trying to do work and they're trying to make a living. And it would be nice that their Sunday nights they would get paid to write a path, like to fix something. Um, I... It, it's got to start small. It's got those. If we could just start that, I, I, yeah, I think people starting out should be able to work on a Sunday night for four or five hours and make some money. And there's no reason why they shouldn't. Yeah, I mean, I think to, to Jacob's point, like I think I was in a similar situation where I put a lot of time into contrib modules, and it definitely helped my career. Um, but not not everybody is in that position where they can, and you know, we're lucky to be in that position, but. I think the larger discussion, which, you know, maybe you'll be in the Drupalized Me podcast you'll get into is I feel like we should make it sort of viable for people who don't have that extra time, but have like the skills or want to learn the skills. Um, because it's, yeah, it's like a privileged position to be able to, you know, to put in that free time, which we, I think all of us here have done to sort of f uh, future our career. And I think, you know, we've tried to solve the, financial supporting modules for a long time in Drupal, the Drupal community. And just because we haven't solved it yet, I feel like doesn't mean it's un it's not an unsolvable problem to get more people paid. Can I give a hint of where I'm going to go when we talk a lot about is it's a solvable problem. Complex problems are solvable. You just have to think it through. Like I like Airbnb as an example of it's a ridiculous, like their business plan made no sense. You're going to sleep on people's couches, but they work through a workflow that makes it possible that people are comfortable doing that. And open source, need, and by the way, I think this is a huge open source problem because I rely on like 12 or 13 external libraries. And honestly, 50% of the libraries that the web form module are using are somewhat maintained because people are doing it for free and they don't have the time. And these are libraries where I'm sure they would be happy to be paid something to fix an accessibility issue. We just need to make it happen, change the mindset to do it. And I, I think we're kind of in a unique um, position compared to other open source communities. And, you know, like the fact that we're on, we're all on Drupal.org, we're not on GitHub. I mean, you could say there's benefits and downsides to that, but I think part of the benefit of that is, is that, you know, maybe we're in a better position to solve it because we're, a thing where you have to use all these contributed modules to make any site. So, and that, that will be true for, you know, the foreseeable future. So uh, I feel like maybe we're, the problem is more in uh, like acute in the Drupal community. So maybe that means we have more incentive to solve it. All right, I can't believe I'm going to be the voice of reason defending um, Mike Herschel here for a second and saying, let's stop talking about this so that he, <laughs> um, so hang on. So let me uh, let me. I want to touch on one thing you said a second ago, Jacob, which I just want to clarify. Is you said that I believe you said Webform depends on a bunch of other open source projects. Is that true? Yeah, major like a hundred percent get off the island mentality for external libraries. Are there? Do you need Composer to install Webform? The no, because the Drupal the libraries are all front end facing libraries, so they're usually JavaScript and CSS. So they're widget enhancements like geolocation support, address. Um, I have like iCheck library, and they're so. But those they're already in the code base. They're not 
I, I just want to clarify because I know that when... No, no, no. Okay. I've had to build a library management system in the web form module where basically there's a single Drush command you type and it will go out and get these libraries using Drush. It either uses Drush or it can add the libraries to your composer JSON file. But you have to use this single command to kind of get that integration working. And there's CDN support. This is important to say is that if you don't install the libraries, the module is still going to work. If you go to simply test me, you can't install libraries on there. It just goes out to CDNs and gets the, the libraries. Okay. I just want to clarify that because I know as soon as you said that, my mind went to, wait a minute, did WebForm, is WebForm like doing the same thing that address module is doing where you need to install it with Composer? But the, the answer is clearly no. Um, but you have to run this Drush command to get those third-party dependencies. And most importantly, they're not actually even required. They're just enhanced. Yeah. And this is a big challenge for the Drupal community because when Dries did his keynote and pointed out that like, what was it, 50% of the people don't use Composer or Drush to install modules, um, we have to consider that. And I'm leaning toward doing with the release an archive of all the libraries and putting it on GitHub so someone could download it. Because I don't want someone having to manually go out and get 12 libraries. Um, we have to sort that one out because that's... We could do all this command line stuff, but we have to acknowledge certain users don't do command line. That's a whole other podcast, right? I okay, yes. Let's let's yeah, I know. That well, I just set you up for a good podcast because I think it's gonna come up with all this initiative to make, you know, build a UI for uh, Drupal updates or something. See, I knew this was gonna happen. I, I even said this before we started recording. I said we have to be careful because I know that we we there's a lot we can talk about here, so I'm gonna Well <laughs> You can have me on again in six months yeah. or a year. <laughs> All right, I'm going to keep us to schedule. So let's uh, let's okay. move on real quick because we're going to have a little bit of fun. We're going to ask you the five questions in a few minutes. Um, but before we do that, let me just mention real quick that our next long-form training opportunity from Drupal Easy is going to be our Mastering Drupal Development Workflows with Pantheon course. It's a six-week course, three half days a week. It begins February 27th. It's all online. It's, we use GoToMeeting, so you can be literally anywhere in the world to participate. It's live online, meaning it's me in a little box on your screen, talking and teaching and um, helping you to really take advantage of everything that the Pantheon hosting platform has to offer for Drupal developers. Um, we will be using Composer from day one. We were just talking about Composer a second ago. Use Composer to manage your, your code base. Um, learning all about Search API and Solar, both locally and on Pantheon, um, a bunch of other Drupal development workflows and best practices. Um, so that class is starting up February 27th, 2018. You can go to DrupalEasy.com. There's a big banner there on the homepage um, with some information, and you click through and get even more information and fill out a form, a contact form, I'm sorry to say, Jacob, not a web form yet. Um, it's, it's a basic contact form. Um, to get more information about that. Um, upcoming events. It sounds like, Jacob, you are going to be at Drupal Camp New Jersey in uh, early February? Yeah, they're opening up session. They have session proposals to the 15th. I'm going either way. It's a great camp. I, I hope my session will get in. I'm going to put you on the spot here because um, I didn't ask this beforehand. Are you? I know that in Atlanta you gave a half-day web form training. Um, are you going to do a similar thing in New Jersey? Um, I probably will only have an hour, so I'm going to just do, I, I'm trying to get people to be able to do some hands-on form building, even in an hour session. It's a ridiculous challenge, but I kind of love the challenge of being like, hey, you can actually build a form while I talk and figure out how to get people to do that. So, but it's going to be an entry. I think I really need to keep doing, here's what the web form module is presentations, because I think that helps grow the community and brings new people into it. All right, very good. And I'll also mention uh, my home camp, Florida Drupal Camp, uh, taking place the weekend uh, or Friday, Saturday, Sunday, uh, February 16th, 17th, and 18th. That's President's Day weekend, so a lot of people in the U.S. have the following Monday off as well. I plan to be there this year. Oh, very good, Ted. So Ted will be here. So I'm trying to. I'm trying. Very, I think that's... That's all we need to say then, and that will get the droves of, of, of people down here is that Jacob and Ted will be here. I figured. I've done my job. <laughs> <laughs> it's a great reason to get out of you know, the, cold, uh, the cold weather for a long weekend down, in, down in, 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 I'll use the phrase, beautiful sunny Florida when I'm talking about February.
um, and not like August, which is not the best time to be in Florida. Um, we, so this is going to be our 10th anniversary camp, our 10th straight year of having this camp. We've got some really cool things planned. Um, we've got some really cool featured speakers that we haven't an announced yet. Um, it's going to be one heck of a, a Florida Drupal camp this year. So definitely you're going to want to check that out. Alrighty, so let's move on to five questions. And we kind of have a five questions version three. Um, this being podcast episode 201, kind of wanted to mix up the questions a little bit. So we're going to kept some of the old ones. We have some new ones. Um, but this first one is, is one of the originals. And so Jacob, name something you do outside of Drupal that's people would find interesting? Um, well, my background is I went to art school and I don't make much art anymore, but every year I do Halloween costumes for my kid and I have them on, I have them on my website. I don't have this year's costumes on there, but they, each year I experiment with like different materials. Like last year was light up costumes. One year I went down to Canal Street, New York and got start foam padding and made my son like a halo Spartan costume. And that's one of my like annual hobbies every October. So what'd you do this past year? You said they weren't on the website, but what, what was the theme this year? Um, oh, paper mache. So we found on Etsy these amazing paper mache mats. Not, they weren't paper mache. They were these masks that you can make out of cardstock, like kits, and you put them together and they make like, my daughter was this amazing unicorn. And then we paper mache these masks and she was like this multicolor unicorn figure. And my son was a um, like a soldier. He had like a, a pilot mask. And my wife and I actually, I made masks for both of us. And she was a dragon, like a Chinese dragon. And I made this giant fish costume that fell apart. So I have like one or two pictures that I did not wear it on Halloween day. But it, it was a lot of fun. The, doing all the paper macheing together was a lot of fun with the kids. What do you mean by a giant fish costume? Were you like a big carp? It was like a, yeah, yeah. It was like a salmon. It was like a, my head was a, the salmon mouth, and then this the person who designed, the paper engineer who designed this on Etsy, designed a whole fish body that goes down your back. And it, 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 it was a really elaborate, like it, it took a few nights to assemble these costumes and the paper macheing and everything. Like I understand like the unicorn and the Chinese dragon, but <laughs> just being like a random fish just seems so very random. Wait, wait, I did not pick that costume. What happened was I said, you guys go pick the costume. They found the most complex, absurd thing on this guy's site and said, build that. And I was like, okay. And I, I sat there. It took me like two nights to assemble this thing. And I, I'll get the pictures. I'll put them at the footer of my website. Um, I have to just do an update. I have old costume pictures at the bottom of jrockwoods.com from, from over the years. That is, uh, that's fantastic. The giant fish. All right. Um, moving on. What's your all-time favorite movie? Uh, I think it goes The Graduate. I, I just, I watched in high school and I had an awesome teacher walk through every nuance of that film. So it was like the, it's a great film and it was probably the first film that I appreciated. The, the role of a director, like the role of a director in that film and how awesome Dustin Hoffman is in the role. So it's like those two, those two working together to make just a classic film. So I'm super curious. I want to ask Ted the same question. Uh, favorite film? Uh, all time, maybe Brazil. Really? Oh, I did not see that coming. I really like Brazil. Um, when when I saw it was going to be the question of the last year, um, I don't know the last year. I, I just saw Lady Bird, which was really good. Uh, I forget the the woman who played the high schooler, but the mom was the sister from Roseanne she's done other stuff but I forget her name but she, she they were both really good but it was written by um Greta get the uh, Greta what's her name Gretwig uh I'm anyway she's an actress um Greta get Gretwig or something anyways very well written but Brazil yeah if, if you haven't seen Brazil you should see Brazil Man, my favorite movies are so lowbrow compared to yours. So what is it? You go, Okay, Mike, you got to answer your own question. Well, my favorite movie of all time has to be, it, it's such a lame answer because it's, I think it's so many people's favorite movie, but like The Godfather and The Godfather 2. Like when those are on TV, you know, forget about it. I'm, I'm in front of the TV watching them until they're done. Um, I'm also a, a big fan of, uh, of, I'll say pretty much any Batman movie, but the Christopher Nolan Batman movies especially. 
Wait, wait, you can't. That not the nipple Batman movie. No, though, right? no, no. Um, what? Growing up, I, you know. Uh, oh yeah. <laughs> Sorry. I got it now. I would put. And here's another one that's. You know, I think a lot of people, you know, really like this movie. Like Back to the Future is like for my like growing up. I, I must have watched that movie fifty times growing up. Just absolute f- fun, fun. Still movie. great. Yeah. Still holds yeah, up. Yeah, I've watched it with my kids over and over again. It's it's a great. Movie. Yeah. All right. Anyway, enough about us. Uh, more about you, Jacob. Your favorite music artist? Yeah, you, it's a good one. I I don't listen to a lot of new music. I'm still kind of into classic stuff. And like, I actually picked up a record player last year, and it's been like a little hobby to grab records. And I I was just listening to Steely Dan Pretzel Logic, and I was like, this is an amazing album. I'm not. It, th- yeah, favorite music. That's up there. I was like, this is a perfect album. That's a good one. So Yeah, I don't know if I could come up with like a favorite music artist either. Because there's a few of them. It's kind of like favorite. Like I have a hard time with superlatives. Well, it's also the time of year. Like each, I, I think I pick different albums depending on the time of year. What I'm into, what I, you know, you buy an album. You're like, that's my favorite album this week. <laughs> but I think a lot of us also have kind of like go-to. Like if you hear a particular song or artist on the radio, you know, when you're driving around... There's probably, I know for me, there's probably two or three artists that when it comes on, there's no way I'm changing. Like if, if, if that artist is on, I'm listening to it. So that's kind of what I'm, what I'm getting at. I would say, you know, yeah, you're right. Jane's Addiction would be one of like, and it, I would throw out, we're all older guys. It's like stuff you grew up with, like certain artists where you're like, I went to Jane's Addiction, Madison Square Garden after 9-11 and it was the best concert ever. So yeah. Any Jane's Addiction, when it's on, I just listen to the, the full song. See, now I have to ask Ted the same question. Because I know Ted is going to have... Here's my prediction. Ted's answer is going to be somebody I've never heard of. That's my prediction. Go ahead, Ted. Uh, my favorite musical artist might be Zakir Hussain. He's there a top player Done. from India. <laughs> um, I don't know. I, I grew up on the Beatles, though. I grew up on the Beatles, so I really like them. I really like Beck, Drive By Truckers, you know. That's right, yeah. drive-by truckers. Yeah. yeah. Okay, I forgot about which that. Which lately I've actually been getting into Jason Isbell, which he used to be in them, but he's just an incredible songwriter. I'm not sure I can hang out with you anymore, Ted. You might be too highbrow <laughs> for me. Day to day, I'm really not, though. Uh, okay, very good. All right, Jacob. Um, what is the last exotic animal that you've hand-fed? Against my, be- my better judgment, I'm keeping this question in. Well... I, I think it's just it's it's a completely unfair question. I was listening to your was it who was on the last pod? Dave Hall or he was in Australia, and you're asking him and he's like I'm petting pythons in the desert or something. I'm like I live in New York, so my best answer to the question is I, I'm not hand feeding any animals. But in New York, I was uh, in the city thinking about the question. And I walked by some guy with a a pink stroller filled with four Yorkshire terriers wearing pink leather fur coats and light up collars. And I had to stop and I said, can I pet them? And I even took a picture. I mean, it, it's like my thing in New York. Is I have a dog. I have a Portuguese water dog. Is like petting dogs. My son and I have a game that we're calling Pet-A-Dog where we go for like long walks. Like I have to, you know, walk. My folks live in the neighborhood, so we have to walk 10, 15 blocks. And we see how many dogs we can pet along the way. And like taking bets on the reactions of the owner. We're like, will that owner let us pet the dog? Will the dog bite us? Um, so yeah, for a New Yorker, it's, yeah, it might be like, what's the last animal you pet or, but I like the idea of making people think about how they interact with animals because it's an important part of, of life. You know, New York, it's dogs. Yeah. All right. The, the, I guess a, a leather clad Yorkshire terrier, Yorkshire. That sounds pretty exotic. Four, four of them too. I want to add that. I'll, okay. I'll make sure that goes in the show notes for sure. Four. Okay. Um, and then my favorite question that we've been asking, and we're going to keep this one for sure, is what was your tipping point Drupal moment? Well, I, I touched upon it. it. It's that moment like last year where I was working in the YAML 4 module with, you know, doing it without, okay, this is what I'm doing. And that issue where we're discussing changing the name, which is just a great point because some people weigh in and their tone is totally inappropriate and they're kind of nasty about it. Not to me or they're just like, well, who cares? We could take over the web form namespace. And it was great to see everyone come together and then like even quick sketches a specific comment where he steps in. It's like, dude, you can do this. And him kind of handing the reins over to me and be like, you could take over this project. Was That was a huge point. It was basically going to impact the next, you know, five to 10 years of my career 
and hopefully I'll be still maintaining the web form module then as well. Outstanding. No, and that's a, that's a, that's a, it's a great moment. It's a great story. It's a great example of kind of the Drupal open source community. So, well, that answer is well worthy of the question or vice versa. I'm not sure which is more appropriate there, but anyway, let's get this thing wrapped up. We've been talking for over an hour, which is, uh, I broke my promise of keeping these podcasts under an hour. So let's get this wrapped up. Jacob, where can people find you online? Jay Rockowitz in almost everywhere you go. Drupal.org, Twitter, and my domain's jrockowitz.com. Very good. And Ted, how about you? Uh, Ted Bow on Twitter and a lot of places. Not Instagram because somebody owns the name. So I would rather have, yeah, just, it's a gripe. <laughs> All right. Well, well, we can dive into that in another podcast. List of, list of Ted's gripes. Um. Yeah, so I've, I've lost my train of thought here. Oh, yeah, so... Can Where can find they find you, Mike, Thank on you the web? Thank you very much, Ted. Uh, Ultimike and Drupal Easy, pretty much everywhere. Um, as always, thanks to webenabled.com and devpanel.com for their continued support. And let's wrap things up. You know, if you like the podcast, uh, you know, tell your friends. Search for it on um, iTunes and other places. And, yeah, let's, let's finish this up. So, Jacob, thanks for your time. Always good to catch up with you. Ted, uh, always good to have you on the podcast. As, uh, as good to be back. And uh, we'll see everybody on the next Drupal Easy podcast.